Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, Evan Preparis. I got a guest with me on the line. We're going to be talking about injury and recovery modalities. Back on the podcast, I have Dr. Kirk Iodice. Kirk, welcome back to the show. Hey, Evan. Thanks again for having me. Uh, we had Kirk on once before. I had a lot of great information on recovery modalities and injury prevention and stuff like that. I'm going to kind of quickly run through his bio since we, we've talked to him once before, but Here's some of the highlights. Official chiropractor for the Kansas City T-Bones, official chiropractor for the KC Smoke Elite Running Club, Cleveland Chiropractic College faculty, recommended physician, KC Ballet and Runner's Edge of KC, former official chiropractor of Kansas City Wizards, doctor of chiropractic, bachelor of science in health and fitness, bachelor of science in life science, active release technique certified, motion palpitation institute certified, kinesio taping level three certified. He basically, he owns a advanced healthcare and sports injury I guess office or clinic. What do we call it? What's the official term? Either one works. Okay. In Kansas City. And if you're not from Kansas City, don't worry because the information we're going to be covering can be applied anywhere. And if you're looking for recommendations of how to find someone who has similar qualifications and can do similar stuff in your area, check out our last podcast because Dr. Iodice gives some great answers there. On On the Strength and Speed Facebook page and then on my personal page, we asked if anyone has any questions, feel free to post them and we'll answer them on the podcast. So that's what this episode is, is a Q&A. So we're just going to kind of dive right into it. And then at the end, we'll go over some immunity boosting stuff because I know the COVID-19 coronavirus situation is a hot topic now, but um, we're still athletes and we're still performing and we still want to continue to improve, but also care for our health at the same time. So we'll, we'll dive into that at the end. All right. So let's, let's start from the top. So first, good. first question was by Alan Hale. And he asked, long run recovery, ice cold, heat, or contrast, hot and cold? Uh, what do you recommend and kind of why? So when it comes to heat and cold, it's not going to make a tremendous difference in reality when it comes to your recovery. In other words, if you looked at you doing ice and someone else doing heat and someone else to, who did neither, and you looked at your training over a period of time, it's not going to make a, a, a significant difference per se. Now, that doesn't mean it can't make you feel better. And helping or having something that makes you feel better, that can impact your training, if that makes sense. So when it comes to, to, to long run recovery, um, you know, doing heat or cold, it really is palliative, whatever feels best for you. Uh, the, the rephrasing that slightly differently, how to best utilize heat or cold. So cold is good for, for numbing pain and it can be good for a lot of inflammation. So for example, if you, you know, went through some kind of major OCR where, where your, uh, your whole body got tore up. You have kind of systemic inflammation, if you put it that way, like an ice bath can be therapeutic. So that's, that's a specific instance. But if you're talking about just your, your kind of average long runs or long training runs or things like that, um, a few, a few items that can be helpful, um, would be, uh, would be like compression during and then even afterwards as well. Uh, and then just light stretching. 
those are a few things and just making sure your, your nutrition is dialed in. So, uh, sorry, it's, it's pretty much that simple, but, um, and getting back to, sorry, I didn't finish my thought of, uh, of heat versus cold. Um, so cold is good for numbing pain. It's also good for inflammation. Heat is good for, for like loosening you up. So if you feel tight in general, you feel stiff, um, then doing, uh, doing some, uh, some heat can help make you feel looser. The one thing I'd like to add to that though, is that if you did something where let's say it's a long run where you really pushed your limits, either pace or distance, and you're kind of sore afterwards, then the day afterwards, you don't want to push it too much. What you want to do is have some type of recovery cardio activity because what that allows you to do, it allows you to actually kind of recycle the lactic acid. We hear about that stuff that makes you sore. It's part of the process. It's not a bad thing, but you actually, by doing some light cardio, then get a light, um, you actually can recycle that stuff faster and get through that soreness cycle faster. All right. Sounds, sounds good. I like it. All right. We're going to move on to Chris's question. He asks, what are the benefits of using a percussion massager? Do they provide enough benefits to spend the money or should you just stick with a stretching and foam rolling technique? That's a great question. So uh, I'll go ahead and just get to the answer right away. And that is, I have yet to see any conclusive evidence that utilizing percussion massagers has a distinct advantage over other types of self-myofascial release. Now, that being said, the one thing you could make a case for is that when they, when they hit you in that repetitious uh, fashion, that basically kind of like vibrates your tissues. And there, there are sensors within your cells that can feel that. That provides a stimulus called afferentation, uh, which is a fancy way of just saying it stimulates where, where certain things are happening. It allows your brain called proprioception to know where something's happening. That has a pain relieving quality to it. And so again, I don't know if it, if it actually demonstrates an additional benefit beyond doing other things. Um, but that would be the one difference in that versus doing, doing, you know, the uh, foam rolling and self-stretching and things like that. Gotcha. Yeah. I'd say from, again, from anecdotal personal experience, the only thing I have is I find the easier it is to do the recovery modality, the more likely I am to do it. So the, that's a good point. Yeah. That's an excellent point for the percussion massager, right? Like all I do is sit down and flip an on switch versus the roller or the stick. Like I have to actively do something. And it makes me less likely to do it after afterwards. So that's, I've, you know, again, from personal experience, that's my, uh, but again, you know, it's $200 and up. It's, it seems like the cheapest one's about $200. And then the stick is like, you know, like, 15 or 20 bucks or something. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what it is, but well, see, yeah, and that's just, I'm tend to be clinical in how I think. Right. But, yeah. but yeah, I mean that, that, but that, that is a practical, you're right. That's a, that's an excellent point is that, you know, is it worth the money to avoid injury? Well, yeah, because if you, if you, if you get hurt from a preventable injury, just from being tight and not taking care of yourself, that's going to cost you a heck of a lot more than $200 at anybody who does any type of physical care. Right. So, you know, so in that way, that's definitely a, a good investment, but in, in terms of does it demonstrate, you know, effectiveness over doing other things, I can't speak to that. I haven't seen evidence of that. Gotcha. All right. Jumping back to Alan had another question. Does hanging upside down or inversion therapy table work? Okay. So that's a really good question. And, uh, there is, there is some limited evidence that there can be, that there can, there can be benefit from it. And again, just speaking anecdotally, a lot of people will, will, uh, talk about how it does help them out. And if we just, 
take a second to have a, a common sense conversation. Gravity is always pushing down against you. So if you have something that reverses that, it's probably not a bad thing. Same logic as, you know, if you were always in a certain position and certain muscles get tight, you probably want to stretch them by going the opposite direction. It's kind of the, not quite the same concept, but same general idea, right? So the, the one thing I would say with those is that the biggest limiting factor a lot of times for if people like them or not is actually the sensation of hanging upside down. So a lot of people actually really don't like that sensation. Some people actually get headaches from hanging upside down. So my recommendation is if at all possible, if you're going to try one out, uh, just go to like Costco where they have that really great return policy or get something where there is some type of a return policy. Cause a lot of times the gotcha on certain things like that can be, if it's considered a, a, a like a medical device or something like that, a lot of times those may be non-refundable non and non-returnable. So that would be my, my one piece of advice is to see if you actually like it and to follow some kind of protocol. So don't just flop right upside down, just kind of gradually go, especially if you have some back pain, do it gradually come back up on gravity. Because a lot of times, if you flip right upside down, certain types of back injuries don't like that distractive type of, of, uh, of input. And so if you, if you do that and then flip yourself back up, you might find that you're worse. So you'd rather find that out, you know, you're a little bit more sore versus if you do it and come back up and you're not feeling very good. All right. Sounds good. Ashton Abraham, he's one of the athletes on the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team. I know he's been dealing with an injury for the last... I don't know, a couple months. Uh, yeah. I had, had a question too. He said, best recovery method for tendosynovitis in the posterior tibialis tendon and flexor digitorum longus tendon. So before, okay. we, before we get to that, explain in layman's terms what that means. And then uh, go ahead and answer the question. Yeah, you, you got it. Absolutely. So there are, he's being very specific with the type of tendon injury here. So, so for the, the, for the intents of our discussion here, so we don't get out on a sidebar, let's just say in injury to a tendon for now. So, or something like that. And there are numerous different types that you can have. What he's referencing is if you imagine your ankle, uh, there's those, those, those prominent bumps that are on the inside and the outside, right? That's what are called the malleoli. So on the, on the inside, so in other words, like not the outside where your pockets are, but the opposite side of your leg, the ankle bone that protrudes on the inside right there, just behind that. So between that bone and your Achilles, there's a few, there's three, like three different tendons right there. Okay. And you can get tendon, a tendon injury in more than one of them at the same time. You follow me so far? Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So there's a couple of different tendons over there. So, so in that area, because of the orientation of it, uh, to be specific with his question of the, of that structure, that generally is going to be hurt because of other things not doing what they're supposed to. And you can make that general statement about a lot of things. But in this case, it often has to do with the ankle rolling over into, uh, into pronation too much. Uh, which if you've ever been fitted for shoes, you probably have heard that term. They probably have mentioned, let's check how much you pronate or you're an over pronator and under pronator. What that basically means is how much the, the foot rolls. Like if you rolled the outsides of your feet, it's the opposite of that, right? So if you do that too much, it can create a, a force or a shear on that tendon on the inside. So uh, with regard to the, the best way to rehab that, very often there can be weakness in some of the surrounding structures. So if you wanted this, and again, this requires um, professional evaluation because there's a lot of different possibilities, but some of the, the top 
things to strengthen and, and look after would be number one, make sure you have enough ankle mobility. Uh, specifically, uh, look for ways to improve the motion called dorsiflexion, D-O-R-S-I, dorsiflexion. Um, so you want to make sure that you have adequate levels of that in the joint. You want to make sure your calf muscles are flexible enough. You also want to make sure that an opposing muscle group called the peronii, P-E-R-O-N-I-I, the peronii, or the uh, fibularis muscles, um, the, depending on what source you're looking at, um, the, the same muscle group. But those muscles, which are on the outside of the leg, it, it's I can't explain very well. Uh, non-visually how to strengthen those, but if you just look on YouTube and just, just looked up uh, pronei strengthening or fibularis strengthening, uh, you would see ways to be able to do that. So that's those are some of the generalities for that particular condition. Again, there can be many other things that factor into that. Like I said, uh, I guess maybe the easiest way to answer the question would be to, to have it professionally evaluated because it's, it's not a thing that's easily self-treated because even having problems in hip mobility uh, or hip stability can actually translate directly into, uh, into, how, into how that area will work. But if we, if we take the, the question generally and just say, how can you best care for tendon injuries? So tendons, a lot of times, cautiously, a lot of times you can work through uh, tendon injuries depending on the severity. Because uh, the curious thing a lot of people will find is that they're worse when they're cold, but once you're up about and you're moving, you're warmed up, you can actually kind of work through them a little bit. So it often requires some modification of training schedule, but you can often train through them. But and I would recommend under professional guidance though, honestly, to make sure you don't overdo it and tear something. But if you want a, a generalized uh, self-care method, there is something called eccentric, E-C-C-E-N-T-R-I-C. So eccentric uh, strengthening, which is where you, it's like negative. So if you've been in the gym if you're, and you, or if you're familiar with that term doing a negative, you basically would start at the peak of emotion and then lengthen slowly under tension and then repeat. Sorry, I know that's that's way way a lot of information, and I apologize with that answer. But it's that's it's very difficult to answer that in a in a succinct way. In that topic in general, is also it's complicated because a great example is a lot a common tendinopathy or a tendon issue would be Achilles tendon issues, and one of the most common associated issues or dysfunctions that go with that is actually an immobility of the front of your hip. So in other words, like having a tight hip flexors or the front of the hip joint is, is too stiff. Uh, and that's something that if you don't discover where that's coming from, then you're going to continue to nurse having Achilles issues and you're going to stretch your calf all day long and do eccentric heel drops all day long. And you'll continue to have it if you don't actually figure out what the source of that dysfunction is. Gotcha. Like obviously supplement companies push whatever their supplement line is. And one yeah. of the common ones I always hear about is glucosamine and chondritin. Mm -hmm. for treating tendon or ligament issues any value there or what's the not with treating tendon or ligament issues so glucosamine chondroitin is beneficial for the inside of joints so like knees like inside the knee inside elbows things like that um, it's not going to have benefit so much with tendinous injuries the the only thing from a supplement standpoint beside having just well-balanced nutrition in general would be things that have natural anti-inflammatory properties. So that's going to be like your, the, the classification would be like curcuminoids, which would be like turmeric. And then there's also like bromelain and some other things like that. Gotcha. Okay. 
Uh, moving on to William Shell's question. He's a physical therapist that works or that's part of the strength and, my little strength and speed team we got here. So his, yeah. his whole, he's got quite a paragraph here, but it says, I want to know his school of thought training behind the method of dry needling. What are the therapies he does in conjunction with dry needling? He can be as medical technical as he wants with the answer. He started dry needling about a month ago. Uh, what he considers the best two to three things and actually should do to keep themselves out of needling to see a, a PT chiropractic doctor. All right, then it, it goes, we'll answer that part first. And then he has a couple of kind of like a follow up after that. Sure. Okay. So, uh, so let's break it down to these individual. And I apologize, I actually don't have that one written down here. So will you just break those, that, those individual questions uh, apart for me, just so I make sure I'm, I'm thorough with this? So, so first one is uh, basically, what's it? What's the school of thought and training behind the method of dry needling? Okay, okay, got one. it. So the, the, the training will vary by state. Um, there's going to be courses that you take where people teach you how to do it, essentially. Uh, the school of thought with it is there's a, a couple of different ones, and this has evolved more recently. So the, the older school of thought was this. It was, trigger, it was called trigger point dry needling, which is that you had these bands of muscles that would get excessively tight and kind of like either through mechanisms where they get overused or they're, getting, they're being used outside the parameters for which they were designed. And it creates this phenomenon called a trigger point, which is an area of muscle that's tighter than the surrounding area. So either a band or a knot. By putting a needle into it, it uh, essentially, it's a stimulus that can cause a involuntary contraction that, that can help that area to recover. And that is a model that's been around for a long time. But, but more recently, and I apologize, this will probably be getting into a little more detail, but um, more recently that's evolved to be much more neurologically based. So now we're coming, and it's been known for a while that the areas where people tend to need needling is where near or at uh, the spots where nerves actually hook into muscles. And, uh, and they, they have to do a lot with, with nerves. So now it's, it's come more to understanding that it is due to nerves uh, sending abnormal signals. That's the easiest way to, to say it here. So you, uh, there's also another model too that's come about more recently that's called neurogenic inflammation, which means that nerves and certain types of nerves in particular can themselves create inflammation. In other words, they literally can reduce can produce the chemicals that create inflammation. And that's something that a model that I have uh, been able to, uh, to adopt and understand and integrate in with the other treatments that I do. And I'm getting the best clinical results I ever have in 12 years of practice. We've always prided ourselves in getting quick and good results and getting people back to the sports or the activities in a, in a really reasonable time frame. But at this point, there's been a market uh, improvement in our success rates as well as the rate of return to activity for people um, when we can integrate in this concept of, of nerves with muscles. Gotcha. All right. And sorry, that, I, 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 I keep saying sorry, but I, I know this is some people are going to go, are going to go glassy eyed with some of this stuff, but I just want to make sure I answer the question. All right. And then it's, so his next part of the question was what are the therapies he does in conjunction with dry needling? Okay. So my, my package of treatment, if you want to call it right now, uh, would include, so obviously dry needling, uh, joint manipulation or adjustment, um, doing various types of myofascial release, which includes active release techniques, uh, IASTM, also referred to as Graston or, or ASTM, 
some type of post isometric relaxation, which is a version uh, of muscle energy type techniques. Um, in addition to rehabbing appropriately, you can't you can you can't make weak things stronger just by by needling them or something like that. There's only one way to do that. Um, so those are the, those are the really the main things that we utilize right now. Gotcha. And then the next one is what. It what he considers the best two to three things an athlete should do to keep themselves out of needling to see a PT chiropractor, a doctor. I think here there's a couple of ways to answer this. One would be just the common sense element of keep yourself mobile enough and stable enough. So there's this, these terms that mobility and stability get thrown around in the rehab world a lot. And what they basically mean is keep things that tend to get tight in your chosen activity, keep those stretched out, keep them loose. And for anything that gets tight, there's going to be a corresponding area that gets weak. So keep those things strong, right? So like right now, if you opened up runner's world right now, you're going to see articles about glute strengthening. And the reason for that is that it's impl implicated in almost every lower extremity injury. So, you know, just looking, doing a little bit of research and looking into what balance for your chosen uh, sport would be most appropriate. Okay. Oh, and then, and then, as far as the other part of it, which is you know, keeping them, keeping someone out of out of a, an office, I actually would have a counterpoint to that. I think if you're a serious athlete, I really think that you should be in someone's office uh, more as a preventative. Uh, so you don't have to be in that person's office because you got hurt. Because ultimately, if you look at anyone who is at the top of their game, anybody, anybody in any sport, they have a fleet of people. And we all don't have that luxury, I understand. But they have a fleet of people that work with them. They have, you know, part of their schedule, if you look at what it is, all of them have somebody they see who's doing, who's doing some type of massage, some type of acupuncture and, and ART and, you know, all these different things that they're utilizing uh, in order to keep themselves performing at their best. So there's, there is the school of thought that wait till you get hurt and then take care of it. Um, but a lot of people will be more proactive about it and they will, they will partner with someone who can try to identify risk factors for getting hurt and taking care of those, of those before the individual actually gets hurt. Yeah, it's a love that answer. And I mean, I started working with you last year and again, I didn't have any serious injuries ahead of time. I just kind of came in and started, we had, I get introduced to a friend and, you know, last year I had the best, my best year of racing, I'd say in my life. And then this, awesome. this year I did OCR America too, which I would consider the most physically impressive thing I've done in all of obstacle course racing personally. And then, you know, I, we, 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 I saw you before that kind of as a, as a final tune up. And then I saw you after it and my body was just like a complete mess afterwards and you were not only were you find, were you fixing things that were wrong, but you were finding things that like I, I, I kind of knew they were wrong for a while, but I just didn't, you know, like it wasn't wrong enough to the point where I could, I, I would complain about it. And you kept finding like, you're like, oh, did you uh, tear your quad at one point? Like the, or like have you a strain in your quad? And I was like, oh yeah, back in like 2011. And he's like, yeah, I, yeah, I can feel it with, you were doing the Graston method um, yeah. on, on my quad. And then again, you found you, like you mentioned something about my big toe, which I can't even remember what you said was wrong with it. Um, but you ended up doing an adjustment to my left big toe. And at the, and in the office, you're like, you ever had any problems with this? And I said, no. And then like over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking of that. I'm like, oh yeah, my big toe kind of always does hurt. Like usually when I'm barefoot and I step sometimes like it'll, I get like this weird pain in my toe, but I don't, yeah. 
when I'm running, I never notice it. So it's, I just chalk it off as a irrelevant problem. That's I gotcha. <laughs> but, it, but see that that's part of the, 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 like my job is to interpret that information, right? It's, it's to, to, to just do a scan based on what I know about you. And like we described in the last podcast, we start with just doing a functional assessment, which allows me to streamline because it would be impractical for me to look at everything with every person every time. But when I have a framework for knowing where are your, everyone's going to have trouble spots. And so if I know where your trouble spots are going to tend to be, it'll, allows me to efficiently scan over those issues and to see if I'm spotting anything that's going on. I've just been, every time I go in there, I'm more impressed uh, both with your knowledge base. And then again, your understanding to understand athletes and get us back into top shape. My knee was hurting when uh, we came in and you did dry needling on it. And then I believe East them on top of the dry needling. Yeah. So I was having, I basically had ran like twice that week because I it was having knee pain. So I was like, all right, I should probably just lay off of it. And then I saw you and within a week I was just, I was back to my normal running. It was like insane. So I went, I, the past two weeks, two and a half weeks, I've been back to normal training um, as I, as I normally do. I definitely have to credit you for that. So. Thank oh man, that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. Well, that's, that's part of the, the thrill of what I do though, is that whenever you have someone who's able to get back to, to what they wanted to do, and especially if they get to do it a lot faster than they thought they'd be able to, it's just, uh, it's very gratifying and, and uh, it allows you to, to feel good about the fact that you're helping other people accomplish their goals. Yeah, super awesome. Let's uh, jump into the last question before we get yeah. to some other things. So Jared Renier, another strength and speed guy who's also a personal trainer, asked about unilateral versus bilateral exercise for both recovery and overall performance. Yeah, so that's, that's actually a really good question. So um, what the question is asking is, should you train one limb at a time or both? In other words, should I do lunges or should I do squats? And my answer would be a, a mixture of the two because they, they each have unique benefits. Now, I'll go ahead and share with you one little secret, though, which is that um, if anything tends to bother your spine, if you do it with uh, with both limbs. So the classic example here would be uh, would be doing a deadlift or doing uh, doing squats. So if you have certain types of injuries in your back, it just it just doesn't like that, those type of forces on the back. So um, if you will take whatever activity that is, that's two limbs and make it one limb, it almost always feels okay. And so for example, instead of deadlift, you do like an RDL, uh, instead of squats, you do some lunge variation or something like that. You almost always will handle those just fine. You also get the benefit too, when it's unilateral, that you're working what's called the, the chain. So there, there are these muscles that connect together from the different sides of the body and they work together. They don't necessarily directly anatomically connect, um, but they, they have to work together. And uh, when you work one limb at a time, you force those to work. Great example would be if you just have a dumbbell, just stand up and just do a shoulder press with just one arm and, and feel what your abs are doing on the opposite side. You'll just feel that they're, they're super, super engaged. And that's helping to work that particular, that particular uh, chain in your body, right? And particularly for OCR athletes, I think that would be really important, including uh, to be included as part of their training regimen because of the incredibly varied uh, stressors that are on the body. And if you think about it, a lot of those do require one limb at a time, right? Yep, absolutely. Cool. 
All right, so that kind of wraps up all the listener questions we had that posted ahead of time. And obviously, you know, the industry is currently at a standstill both – I mean, the nation is really, really at a standstill it's in, some, in many aspects. But, you know, the OCRs basically have all been canceled through essentially early June. And I know a lot of – we were talking before the podcast started about, you know, how this is affecting smaller businesses. But let's talk a little bit about health and keeping your immune system up and – you know, what people can do now that they're Absolutely. social distancing and staying at home and et cetera. Yeah. The nice thing is that um, we are seeing that some of the positive aspects of social media, right? Whether it's memes that like you make you uh, uh, help you make light of people hoarding toilet paper or whatever it might be, right? There's, there's things that can bring um, some levity to this situation. Um, but in addition to that, we can take this time to, to work on ourselves, right? Uh, if you ask anybody, why aren't you taking care of better, better care of yourself? Almost everyone's going to say something about they don't have the time, right? Well, for many of us, we now have the time. So we can, we can make some changes and integrate them now to when we do get busy again, that they're just automatic. So a few things that I would recommend, and I get questions very frequently right now about immunity, things like that. Uh, this is a complicated topic, and you know the, the things that I have to preface with is, of, of course, this, there's been no research that shows that the things I'm going to recommend will help prevent help you prevent getting coronavirus or something like that. But these things can help your immunity. So the, the worst thing that will happen is that it wouldn't help. And on the, on the plus side, you could make a reasonable assumption that it would at least enable you to have a better immune response. So number one would be vitamin D. Uh, I'm actually unaware of a study where they've looked at uh, people who are deficient in vitamin D and then they get their levels back up and it didn't help whatever they were looking for, whether it was uh, their, their mental state, um, whether where it comes to physical training. I mean, I literally am unaware of a single parameter that when someone's deficient in vitamin D and they get the, their levels back up, that it doesn't at least help or get that back to normal. So vitamin D, in terms of how much to take, this is definitely a, a debatable uh, topic, but I recommend for people in the wintertime, if you're not getting outside at all, that you do about 8,000 IU a day, which sounds, if you look to how much you're supposed to take, like the, the, uh, um, the recommended daily uh, allowances is, uh, I think like 400. But so it's a lot more than that, but you're not going to go toxic with this or it's not going to be bad for you. Um, one common method if people are deficient in vitamin D is they'll, they'll have them do a 50, 5, 0, 50,000 IU megadose once a week. I don't necessarily recommend that. I'm just giving you an example that this is well within the safe limits. Um, but then if it gets to where it's, you know, you're getting some sun exposure, I still recommend two to 4,000 IU a day uh, just because it is so easy to, to become deficient in vitamin D. Also, zinc. So um, there has been much publicized about the, the promise of using the malaria drug chloroquine or, or one of its variant, variants to be able to treat coronavirus. And the, the one thing that no one mentions is how does that work? The way it works is it actually transports zinc into, into uh, affected cells or into your cells. So zinc itself actually has antiviral uh, properties. So you can get a number of supplements and lozenges 
messengers and things like that that have zinc. Just just don't over don't overthink in terms of dosage, things like that. Just just incorporate taking zinc um, into into your into your regimen. Um, don't take too much of it as a micronutrient, but again, just have some lozenges. Make sure you have a, a vitamin that has it in, or some type of anything that generally says immune boosting. A lot of times will have some zinc in it. So having that vitamin C, uh, a lot of us know this intuitively, but hey, guess what? Uh, it actually can be really helpful uh, for your immune system. So it's making sure that you're taking something, either a separate C supplement, or just make sure that you're taking a multi that has a good dose of C within it. Uh, make sure that you're hydrated. Uh, that keeps your your mucous membranes uh, well hydrated as well, and allows you to um, to be able to have the right types of cells there to be able to fight off uh, uh, um, invading cells. And then also a probiotic. So in terms of what type, that's very that's very much so variable. But if you went to a good store like Whole Foods, something like that, talk to the people there and see what maybe what would be right for you. Just taking a probiotic is important because it helps keep the the good bacteria that's in your intestine in check so that if you do consume uh, some type of foreign body that it's able to to deal with that a little bit better. Um, so those are some of the main things uh, when it comes to nutrition. And then the one thing that has to be mentioned too is just keeping keeping a good positive mental outlook. Um, and this goes beyond just you know my my, uh, my clinical training or anything like that. This is just part of the things that I have to do to be able to have the right mindset to treat patients. Is I have to be able to to genuinely keep myself at, you know looking at things in the correct way and and staying positive genuinely about things. So uh, the the one piece of advice is I would just say to make sure to look at the things you can control. Um, and focus energy on those things and not be as worried about the things that you can't, right? So uh, you mentioned that a lot of events have been canceled, so, which, which is great because now you, you can take time to be able to focus on, on other training goals that will make you even better when you get back to it. Um, so that's the, the viewpoint I would have on this for any athlete right now who's, who's facing canceled events. And that's many of my patients is they, they have events that they train for every year or have been training for. They don't have those anymore. And I say, listen, like, you know, take this as an opportunity, work on things you wouldn't normally have worked on right now. Do cross training that you've been putting off, find some way to make this so productive that when you go back to it, you are the best you've ever been. Yeah, I think that's absolutely good advice. Great advice, really. And well, I'm upset. Obviously, there are a lot of events have been canceled. For me personally, it was it was almost a blessing because, you know, I would have I would have jumped back into a couple of smaller races already. But having this has basically required me to take a longer off season, uh, especially after OCR America too, where I was just yeah. uh, I was just a mess. So I, I'm enjoying the extended off season now, getting my training back on schedule. Other than that, like you said, with a positive attitude, I know for me personally, I created. I have like, you know, every day is basically the same for me because I'm not going into work. I'm staying home every day. So mm -hmm. I created my own, you know, daily routine that I go through every day. So we're like, I, I get up and I eat breakfast and spend some time with my daughter and we do some reading and then I go for my workout and come back. And then we, we usually watch a movie and get ready for bed and eat dinner and stuff like that. And it creates a little, uh, like again, sense of control where you're controlling the yeah. things you can control. Again, not really worrying about the things I can't control. So yeah, you know, nothing will destroy your spirit faster than feeling like you can't make progress. Like there's there's nothing that you can do about anything. There's nothing to make progress on. Yeah, uh, I feel like it's really important to have some sense of uh, of having the ability to make progress on something, whatever that might be.
Yeah. I mean, I, I've made some great, again, personally, I've made some great training progress as far as my endurance over the last two weeks. And then on top of that, I've been reading a bunch of books that have been sitting on my shelf that I've been meaning to get to. I've just been crushing, just crushing books, which I'm, I'm really excited for. Cause I, I, uh, again, they've been sitting there for a while and they've been on my to-do list and just haven't, haven't gotten through them yet. So, you know, a lot of small businesses are taking this hard because obviously business has been dropping off across the board because people are staying, staying home. You have a small, like, I guess your office is a small, would be considered a small business. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Any uh, final or any uh, things you want to share with the audience as far as. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, and, and many of us are, are affected by this, but I have spent a lot of time over the past week looking into all the programs that are available and as part of the stimulus that came out and the, the, I can honestly look people in the eye right now and I can say, listen, you're going to be okay. If you are, if you're, if you are motivated and you can, can get yourself to look into some of these programs, if you were making money before either as an individual or a business, then you, you'll be okay. Cause that's part of what these programs will look at as, uh, especially on the business side, they'll look at, okay, were, were you making money beforehand? Um, but as long as you, you were profitable in some way beforehand, then, then you're going to be okay. There, there are many different things out there that are available to help people out. And then for individuals, the same thing again, um, and me as a business owner, it has been my responsibility is really sort through this information and it's made me feel a lot better about the whole situation. I, I really like today I, I was, I was able to confidently tell people like, listen, it's going to be okay. Here's some things you could potentially do here. Are some things you could look into, but you're going to be okay. And we're all going to be okay. Yeah. Sounds great. I know as an individual, personally, my daily costs have gone down a lot because I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm just staying home. Right. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I don't go to Starbucks ever. I don't, yeah, we, we go, my wife goes grocery shopping once a week and that's pretty much it. That's our expenses yep. minus whatever, like reoccurring, you know, Netflix subscription or whatever else, little things there hidden there and there, but thank goodness uh, for those. Right. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, people were, you know, my, my dad and uh, my parents were asking me how it was. And I was like, you know, honestly, like compare this to a deployment. This is like great. Cause I'm used to deployment. You know, you we didn't have Netflix. We couldn't, uh, most of them, I couldn't Skype with everyone. So like, it's very similar to that. If you ever wonder what soldiers yeah. do on deployment, it's whatever you're doing in quarantine, that's what we do on deployment, right? Like video games and movies. And um, the benefit here is one, I'm in America and two, uh, my family's here. So um, yeah, it's uh, again, you can dwell on the negative stuff or you can uh, look on the positive and, and move on. Like you said, control, right. control things you can. Yeah. Well, because ultimately, you know, how you feel that shapes, that shapes your life experience, but also shapes your health. I mean, that's one thing I've come to really understand as I've gone on in practice is that link between the, the mental and physical side of things and how important it is to get yourself mentally right. So that if, you, if your concern is how you perform physically, uh, then, then you got to do both. Yeah. hundred percent agree there. Uh, any final words of wisdom? I know you've got a, you've got a lot of great information for OCR athletes and for recovering from injury and all that stuff. Um, any final words of wisdom before we let you go? 
no, I would just say if anyone has any additional questions or anything they want us to cover in the future, uh, I'm, I'm definitely game to, to field uh, anything, you know, any questions like this again, or if there's a particular topic that people would like, uh, like a podcast about, or just some additional information, even if it was a quick thing, um, I'm happy to do that. So anything I can do to help educate people, I feel like part of what defines my career is being an educator. Uh, I taught at the chiropractic college for nine years, but in addition to that, just a part of what we do, and you've experienced this yourself, is we teach p- p- patients like what we're finding. We teach them how to take care of themselves. So, um, so I, I'm happy you do this, and I, re- I really enjoy this kind of thing. Awesome. And for those of you listening, a couple of weeks ago we had Bobby Ross from Stoke Shed up here filming uh, for the uh, documentary we're producing later this year called Ultra OCR Man, and we went by our Dr. Iodice's office on very short notice. So uh, definitely, a thank you to you for accommodating us. And you talked us through a lot of the treatments you were doing on me post OCR America. And it was just lots of great information, lots of fascinating stuff. If you want to, again, hear more of that, listen to the last episode we had him on. And I don't know how much of it's going to make the final cut of the movie, but I'm hoping we can take it and chop some of it up and release it in little bite-sized clips uh, for the stuff we don't use in the movie. Because it was just, I mean, you, I think we were in there for, I don't know, like an hour and you were just talking the whole time, giving out good information and, uh, Bobby and his wife, Victoria, were doing a lot of the filming and were just, you know, afterwards they were like, that guy is so, he had so much good information to say and he was so knowledgeable. So yeah, it was pretty cool. And then we got some, we got some close-ups of like needles going into random parts of my body and, uh, me twitching. So that, that was, that was pretty fun too. Um, yeah. Uh, now when people will post on social media, like I'll have patients who will grab their phone, take pictures of needles, things like that. Uh, I'll tell you the same thing I tell them. I, I say, I just want to go ahead and say, thank you for scaring away anyone who ever <laughs> would visit my office. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it, it's really, it doesn't hurt bad. I mean, it doesn't hurt at all. It just feels weird. I, I think. Yeah. Um, and honestly, it, I think it, I think it looks a hundred times probably worse than it feels. But yeah, yeah. I, I would say it definitely feels different, you know, in terms of the amount of pain. I mean, most people will feel pain with it, but it, it just feels, I have a lot of people who actually have needle aversions and I just say, Hey, listen, just, just let me try this one. I, I, it just, it feels different than what you're thinking. It doesn't feel like a shot. It feels more like a muscle getting tight or something like that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a pretty good example. That's a pretty good description of it. I would agree with that. So awesome. Well, Hey man, thank you so much for having me on again. I really do appreciate it. All right. Well, it was great talking to you and we'll, uh, we'll be seeing you around later this year and uh, best wishes with your business. And we'll see you on the other side of this uh, quarantine here. Yeah. I can't wait. Thank you. And thanks for listening, everybody. All right.